Just, um, yeah, man, I love family. I love, I love this. This is an incredible thing. And what a privilege it is for us to, to get together. Last week we had Anton from uh, Cornerstone come and share some testimony just of just what God's done in his life and how he took him to a place of giving up work to go into a full-time evangelical ministry and some of the stories that he told and it just stirred my heart. And I opened up the meeting with uh, Revelation 12 from verse 11 and it says here, And they have conquered him, him being the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. And, and I've just been, just this thing of testimony has been stirring in my heart over the last couple of weeks. Or Anton shared two weeks ago, and, and testimonies came through of God's goodness and God's grace. And as I've been kind of mulling over this revelation scripture, it's the scripture that we go to is our go-to scripture for testimony. And they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And you think, what does that mean? How did they conquer him? How did the enemy get defeated by their testimony? And this morning, I want to explore some of that. So we've been going through a series. We're into week nine of finding solace in the Psalms. And we've gone through a treacherous couple of years. And there's something of finding our peace and our comfort in who God is. And we've been going through the Psalms to find that. And this morning, I want to read out of Psalm 78. It's a very long psalm, so I've just chosen the first seven verses. But for me, this speaks of the significance of us sharing our testimonies. So Psalm 78, verse 1 to 7. And I'm reading out of the ESV. And it starts off and it says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. You know, one of the greatest problems that we live in this world today is the fact that there aren't fathers around to tell their stories of the great things that God has done. I often say that God reveals himself to us in two relationships, through the father heart, we are his children, and through marriage, we're the bride of Christ. The two most attacked relationships on earth are fathers and marriage. Because if the enemy can taint that, he hinders our ability to see the perfect father and to be accepted as the bride. And here it says, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We need to reestablish that. And we need to change the status quo in the fact that kids have fathers who tell the stories, the wonders of what God has done. Verse 4 says, We will not hide uh, them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach their children. She commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, 
the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. There's something special about sharing a testimony. Grant Crawford, who leads One Life, says you've got to have a 30-second, a 3-minute, and I think a 10-minute testimony that you can share with people. How did God impact your life? Who were you? How did God become Lord? I know for me, I grew up knowing God as Savior, but it took a long time for me to know God as Lord, to establish Jesus as Lord. And I was 21 years old when it happened, and I remember the day so clearly. A friend of mine who wasn't a friend at the time, it was the first time I had gone to youth, and a, and, a, and a friend of mine preached on Matthew 11, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And I remember hearing his words, and I looked at him, and I looked at the girl that brought me to youth, with the girl that I was interested in at the time, and I realized that I could not compete with a guy like that because of the wisdom that came out of his mouth. And I went home and I said, Lord, I need what he has. And God just did something incredible. I remember the following week, I made an agreement with God. I said, I'll, I'll give my life to you, but I won't pray in public, speak in public, preach in public. My relationship with you is a one-on-one -on -one thing. And I remember the following week, I heard that the youth were going out on an outreach to Four Ways Mall in, in, in Joburg. And I said, Lord, I can't do this. I don't have the words. And God took me to Jeremiah 1, the first time I opened my Bible. Jeremiah 1, and it says, don't say I'm but a child. I will place my words in your mouth. And I went out that day, I prayed before, had an incredible encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I quote a chapter, a verse of scriptures I hadn't read. I read one verse that God will place his words in my mouth. And I quote a chapter and verse a week after getting saved because the Holy Spirit did something. Never happened again, but I tell you this much, this became my life. And I devoured the word because I saw the power. When I read that the word was living, I understood it because I'd had a revelation through an encounter with Jesus. God does something amazing. And we've got to tell our children this. We've got to share these things with our kids so that they know that God is good and God is gracious. And God does amazing, amazing things. Remember one day we were walking in, uh, towards Oshaka and Shanae was limping. She had a problem with her ankle. And Kayla, our oldest daughter, said, Mom, hurry up, please, we've got to go. And Shanae said, I'm, I'm battling. I'm, I'm, if you want me to go faster, you better pray for me because I can't walk properly. And my daughter bent down into Shaka, laid hands on Shanae's ankle, and Shanae walked with her a lot faster because immediately she was healed. I tell you this much, Kayla prays for healing wherever she can because she saw God manifest in a way. She has a testimony, and that testimony is incredible. So why, in us sharing our testimony, does the enemy get conquered? Well, 1 John 4 Verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Testimonies cast out fear. It's amazing that the imagery that is used with fear is the same imagery and the same, the same language for casting out the demonic. It says that love casts out fear. Its presence isn't welcome in our lives. And Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. Who? God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and He rewards those who seek Him. So what happens is as fear starts to leave, faith starts to come in. I heard a message when we came here about a week after getting here. I was gripped with fear. We had given up our jobs. We had given up our stability and our livelihood to come and plant a church in a place that we didn't know. And I found myself sitting at Mug and Bean and I'd, 
and I just sat there gripped with fear. And I said, Lord, I need a message. And I, I turned on my podcast. And the first podcast that came up was a message that said, fear is not your friend. And I remember the gentleman that was preaching shared, he said, when you get gripped by fear, start to try and think of testimony. It's amazing how testimony is suppressed by fear. You cannot remember the goodness of God in a place of fear. But the moment you start to recall what God has done and the testimony starts to flow, before you know it, fear is gone. Quinton, you made the statement this morning that we've been living in a season where all we hear is fear. COVID has brought about a supernatural fear. A friend of mine who's an unbeliever said he got COVID. He said it's the first time in his life he felt something go through his body searching for weakness. It was the way he described this illness in his body. And he said, and the byproducts of it was depression afterwards. He says he knows so many people who had depression as a result of COVID. Because the enemy wants to unhinge and undo. But when we share testimony, what we start doing is we start declaring faith. And when we start declaring faith, it lifts the spirits of people. It lifts the mood. We start to remember the goodness of God. We start to remember and recount the goodness of His deeds. And the people around us, they too start to get stirred. And they start to get encouraged. And what happens is fear gets cast out. And faith starts to manifest. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what happens is what we start to do and what we start to speak is good and pleasing to the Father. So I was reading this week in Joshua 2, and this struck me as I've been filtering through this thing of testimony. And Joshua sends out the spies to go and look at the land. And, and the two spies go out, and, and what happens is they land up meeting a lady by the name of Rahab, and Rahab is a prostitute. And in verse 8, it says something quite amazing. Now, Rahab has hidden the spies. The, the king has come to find the spies because he heard that they were coming to scout the land. And now Rahab has hidden them. And in verse 8, Joshua 2 verse 8, it says, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is the God of the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Unbeliever, not an Israelite, doesn't understand God, hears of His great wonders. And recognizes that he is the God of heavens and of the earth. There's a revelation that came from the testimony that was spread by unbelievers. And again, we ask ourselves, how is the enemy defeated by the word of our testimony? Even unbelievers can start to establish the lordship of God when they hear the testimony of his goodness. I think it's so significant that it says here that their spirits left them. Why? Because when Adam committed the first sin, the thing that died was the spirit of man. 
And who gave life to the spirit of man again? God did. And through Jesus, we got new life. Our spirits were reborn. Their spirit was not in alignment with the spirit of God. And their spirit left when God's presence rocked up. And she knew that the prophetic word that God has spoken over them would come to fruition because she had a revelation of the bigness of God and she wasn't even an Israelite. Why? Because of testimony. Because there's power in sharing testimony. So I want to read a couple of testimonies. And I was looking at a book last night. It's a book I read many years ago, but I've, I started going through some of the testimonies last night. And it's a book called They Told Us Their Stories. And it's, it's stories from the Azusa Street Revival. And, and it was an incredible time. And, and I mean, one of them was a three-year-old little girl who recounts how she would go. And it was her favorite time of day. Because every day they would go in and visit this, this place where revival was happening. And she would go and hide under the pews and have a nap there. And she would sleep in the presence of God. And she would recount how incredibly, how just excited she was to get into the presence of God. Three years old. She didn't understand the miracles that were going around her. She didn't understand the word that was being preached. But she understood something of the tangible presence of God. And in that place, she found a supernatural peace that surpassed understanding. So I want to read two extracts from the book. Just to stir us up a little bit. Says there were several other reports of notable healings, but the best testimony was that of a man from India. Every eye was on this foreign guest when he stood up to testify. The man had worked on a ship that had brought him to Los Angeles. He was a Hindu and had never heard the gospel. Somehow he found himself at Azusa Street. It's a beautiful Hebrew word called kera. It's like Sarah with a Q and it means it so happened. And it's the divine orchestrations of God that takes place to get to a point that's seemingly coincidental. Somehow, he found himself at Azusa Street. While he was there, a little girl... Now you've got to understand that the ladies, the adult women who were involved with this were about 15 or 16 years old at the time. So when he says a little girl, you've got to know that this is a, a little girl in the mission, stood on a bench and began speaking in tongues. She was speaking in the Hindi language. She told the surprised guest about his life, named his sins, and told him that Jesus is the Savior. After the service, the man learned that the child had never been to India and didn't know one word of his native language. His life was forever changed. He said he began reading the Bible and looked forward to returning to India to share the gospel with his family. A little girl in the presence of God, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And this happens. The next story. Sister Dundee loved picking out children and ministering to them. The younger the child, the better she liked it. Her next story was the most tender of all the Azusa stories. She went to a child not yet a year old with a bow in its neck. The baby would not cry or make a noise, but the mother said that she could tell that the baby was in pain. Sister Dundee asked the mother if she could pray for her baby. When the mother agreed, she took the child from her, putting the baby blanket over its head so that the mother couldn't see. She prayed for the baby and tried not to get excited because she was holding the baby in her arms. She had to contain herself when the bow started to disappear. She told me that she had to make sure not to throw a Pentecostal fit. When the bow straightened out, Sister Dundee just stood there crying as the baby looked up at her and smiled. Finally, she heard the mother asking, What's happening? Why are you crying? Is there something wrong with my baby? Sister Dundee was standing there, loving on the child as she pulled the blanket back and showed the 
the smiling healed baby to her. I asked, did you give the baby back to his mother? Sister Dundee said, oh Lord, no. I couldn't have caught that mother if I wanted to. The mother just went around running and rejoicing. I asked about the father and she said the father wasn't at the meeting. But Sister Dundee had met him later. The mother took the baby back home and showed the father his healed baby. Not only did he come to the revival after that, he got saved and became a pastor of one of the larger churches in Los Angeles area for about 35 plus years. It's amazing what happens when the Spirit of God manifests. When Jesus declared, he demonstrated with incredible signs and wonders. And then he sent out the 12, he sent out the 72, and he gave them authority to heal every disease and affliction, to go and cast out the demonic, to go and love on people. We've been given an authority to walk in these things, and it's an incredible privilege that we have. I remember years ago, uh, driving in Midrand, and it was quite weird. We were driving, and the cars were kind of going on the pavement and carried on going, and we sat in this traffic. And as I got around to get onto the pavement, there was a lady lying in the road convulsing. She had been knocked over by a car. And all that was happening was that the traffic was diverting around her. So my mom and I, we took a car together, we pulled over, and we got there, and there was a man and a lady arguing, and it turns out later that he was a paramedic, and she was the lady that knocked the woman over. But they were fighting about what had happened, and no one was paying attention to the poor woman lying in the road. But she was unconscious, and she was convulsing. And I remember sitting on the floor, and I phoned my brother, who's a doctor, and I said, how do I stabilize this woman? And he told me how to hold her neck. And I sat on the floor there and I held her neck and I just prayed and I prayed and I prayed. By the time the ambulance came, she was fully compass mentis. She was 100% lucid. She could speak. She was fine. And they took her away for observation. Something of the, the, the Spirit of God came. And I didn't know what, I didn't, I've never experienced that before. I didn't know what it was doing. And, and, and even to the point that I didn't even pay too much attention to what had happened. It was only this last couple of weeks I've been thinking, Lord, you did such an amazing work that day. I remember working for a, a corporate, and um, I was one of the, the, the facilities managers there, but we had to be first aid trained, and I got a call to say that the cleaning contractor, there was a guy that had fallen, and I, I walked into a little passageway, and there was a guy lying on the floor in a pool of blood, unconscious, and didn't know what had happened, and again, started telling guys just to go call the, the paramedics and sat there over him, prayed over him. By the time the paramedics arrived, he was lucid, he was fine, and they took him away. He was back at work the next day. He had passed out due to low blood sugar and hit his head against the window and had cracked his skull open. But he was healed. And, and they took him for observation. It wasn't anything special, but God was busy and God was working. And I tell you, these things stir my heart. There's a friend of ours who... Their little boy, uh, a soccer goalpost fell on his neck and it separated the vertebra of his neck. And I think it was four centimeters that had been separated, if I remember the story correctly. And I remember we went to the hospital to go pray with his parents. They had lost a child before that had choked they, and they were, they were distraught. But they stood in faith that their son would be healed. And he was in a neck brace and he was in traction and they were holding him and they had to go. And they, the doctors weren't sure on how to deal with this because of the severity of the injury to his neck. And there was a, the doctors that were looking after him were Muslim doctors. And anyway, there was a couple of us from church that went to go pray for him. 
he went to the scan, and the scan showed that his neck had returned back to normal. And they couldn't. They, and the doctors themselves said, "We witnessed that you prayed, and it can only be the hand of God that has done this because there's no medical explanation." And little Mika was sent home with no injury because God does amazing things. Stop. Would you like to come up and share your testimony of? Canada, come through. When Nick and Trina, we were discussing this last night, I was trying to remember the testimonies and I was trying to, I was lying in bed last night and I was thinking, my goodness, there's so many. There was a little girl that um, choked on the marshmallow. There was my mom that was vomiting up blood in, 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 in uh, hospital and, I mean, was instantly healed. There was, and I was just going through this list on my finger when I had a lump and it was, uh, when I went back for the biopsy, they couldn't find the lump and it disappeared. Oh, and, yeah. you know, and we witnessed God, we, the, the doctor couldn't believe it. And I said, well, just check because I, I prayed and I'm sure Jesus has removed the lump. And she said, no, 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 we've got to do the biopsy. And then she yeah. said, Oh, wait a minute. There isn't, where is it? Where is it? And then she called somebody else and then she got the ultrasound. She said, it's gone. Yeah, so, I mean, God has done so many things in, yeah. in my life that it's, 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 if I have to tell you all of them, you know, we'd be here for a long time. But the one thing that really stands out for me is uh, when um, I was divorced, I was trying to raise two sons on my own and we were in financial dire straits and we um, were going to a church called Ebenezer in Madrid, and the pastor, the one day, he prayed over, Nick had just recently been saved, and he prayed over uh, Nick and I, and he said, go and get your passports ready. And that, for me, was funny. It was hysterical, because what was I going to do with the passport? I mean, I was, if I tell you I was flat broke, basically we were. Um, and um, I went in obedience, because he prophesied that, and I went and I got my passport ready. And seven years later, I was working for a corporate company, and I was in pick and pay, and it was Christmas time, and they were playing that song, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. And I was walking around pick and pay and thinking, I'm also dreaming of a white Christmas. I've always dreamt of a white Christmas. To see the snow over Christmas time has always been one of, one of my, my dreams. And I got a call from my boss, and he said, Merle, do you have a passport? And I said, Yes. And he said, I need you to get on a flight and I need you to go to Canada. And it was totally incredible because they gave me spending money. They gave me a living out allowance. They put me on an aeroplane. They paid for the aeroplane. And I landed up in Canada in the snow in a beautiful room in the Hilton Hotel with this big, massive bed with this feather duvet. And I mean, ice. I was lying in bed and I said, Lord, Lord, Lord. I was in a rut and he still showed me that I've still got you and I'm still going to bless you and I'm still going to show you. And you know, the, I landed up, uh, we landed up going there three times. The first time we went, we stopped at London. I always wanted to see a palace and I saw the queen arriving and the guards and the horses. And I mean, those that was like a childhood dream. The second time, we landed up in Paris. I was a person who was always afraid of heights. I went up the Eiffel Tower. 
I was on the top of the Eiffel Tower and I said, Lord, you've, how did you know? How could you have done this? I always wanted to see Paris. And then he put me up on the Eiffel Tower. And the third time uh, when I went to Canada, they, uh, I, loved, I loved softball. I used to play softball. I loved baseball. I used to go out with an American baseball player. I loved baseball. And um, they gave me tickets to go and watch the New York Yankees play the Canadian Blue Jays in the stadium. I sat in the third row. My seat number was number seven. I mean, God was just, he was having so much fun with me, just saying, I'm giving you this, and I'm doing this for you, and this was your childhood dream, and I'm giving you that, and I'm blessing you with this, and I know when you were little you loved this, and I'm just giving it all to you, and I never paid one single cent. And that was the hand of God. Hundred percent. And it's an it's an amazing thing, you know. God does He does such incredibly personal things. Um, uh, a friend of mine uh, used to lead a church out in Durban. He now leads a church in Pretoria, and he was preaching the, uh, in Durban the one day, and. and shared about how God sometimes stamps things on your heart and how one day he was driving his car and he saw a number plate of a car and it stamped on his heart and he thought, that's weird. Now, contrary if it was days, weeks or months later, he was preaching. And mid-preach, a, a young lady walked into the back of the church and he stopped his message and he says, you think God doesn't know who you are, but he knows the registration number of your car. And he called it out and this girl just fell to the floor and started crying. Because God is an intentional, personal, loving God who does amazing things. Babe, would you like to come through quickly as well and share yours? And then we're going to close from there. Yeah, so um, a few years ago, we came to Durban. And we were on holiday and... Uh, if you know Nick at all, when you're heading home after a holiday, it's it's very direct process and and very intentional. And um, we had quickly stopped at the shop to uh, get some some food for the road and for him to put in petrol. And I had strict instructions to be very quick in the in the little um, uh, garage shop and come back. And we we now running short on time. And so I was being very obedient and I ran in, got my stuff and they were, God was just doing something in my heart and I was kind of umming and aahing between getting in in the car and, and going back into the store and I got to the car and I looked at Nick and I could see all the pressure and I said, babe, I really feel there's a lady inside that I need to go and speak to. Um, do you mind if I go? Uh, oh, sorry, I messed up the story. But <laughs> so, so the reason I felt this was when I had taken the girls to the restroom, I was waiting for them and there was this lady inside and she was telling me about the fact that uh, she had lost her dad and she, um, she, she decided that night she's going to pack everything up and they're going on a holiday. And she didn't actually have um, finances for this trip, but this is what she was going to do. Her and her son, late at night, were now on their way to Durban for a holiday. And my heart was just stirred by her story, and I said goodbye, and I, I wished her the best. 
And then I got to Nick and I said, babe, I, I, I feel I just need to go and um, buy this lady and her son some, some snacks for the road. And so Nick said, okay, perfect, go do it. And shame, he was so gracious. And so, so I ran in and um, I got a couple of snacks together for them. And as I went and I took it to the lady, I said to her, I just felt in my heart that I needed to bless you with this today. And she looked at me and she said, today's my birthday. I can't believe, thank you so much. And I was just blown away by, there's no way I could have known that. I had no idea that um, this was what this, that this would be almost as a gift to this lady, a birthday gift. And so, yeah, just amazing how God allowed me to, to be used in this lady's life on her birthday in that way. You see, the Spirit of God is leading us so many times that sometimes we don't actually really respond to it. And when we don't respond, that we actually lose out on actually blessing or whatever it is that we need to do. Yeah, and I think there are. We have that hand of God in our lives because of that, and we miss it how many times. And the fact that I am blessed by blessing someone and being obedient exactly. to God, yeah. not just them, but yeah. ourselves. And I think stories like a stir us to actually step out in faith when when we are challenged and we are stirred by what God is doing. So I want to end off with, with this, and it's out of John 4, from verse 39, but John 4 is the story of Jesus with a Samaritan woman. If you look at how it starts off, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus didn't have to do anything, but he had to because he was compelled, because he knew there was a woman waiting for him to have this divine meeting. So he had to go through Samaria. If anything, he had to bypass Samaria to fulfill the, the cultural obligations of the time, but he didn't. He had to go through there. And it says in verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed uh, there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. There was a period of time where people believed purely because of this woman's testimony. You know, and, and, and going back to, and they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. A testimony is declaring God's victory in a place where the enemy was coming to bring defeat. For that woman, the enemy had brought shame. She wasn't willing to go and stand where the other ladies were because she was full of shame. But she ran with confidence to go tell them the things that God had done. She felt worthless to be in the presence of the other townsfolk, yet she ran worthy to go and tell them that Jesus loves them. She was a nobody until she met Jesus, and she walked in the fullness of identity to go and declare his goodness to the townsfolk. There is something about the victory of God in our testimonies that stir our faith, that bring to remembrance the things of old, and not only that, they lift the spirits of those around them. We need to be a people who speak of the goodness of God 
and speak of the things that he has, he has done. And we're going to some worship now. And there's the one song, Miracles. One, two, three, four. I can't even count them all. The little miracles. There are some little things that we take for granted. A friend of mine prophesied over me before coming here that you will meet people by fishing. And the, there was a couple that we met through catching a fish here at the dam. And they became such a significant couple. They go to a different church. They're plugged in. But they gather for us. They're constantly talking about us. They, and they become such an instrumental couple in our lives. Why? Because God does what God is busy with. Little divine testimonies. And the thing that I wanted to end off with is this statement. Our testimonies today become the, the prophetic declarations of our testimonies tomorrow. So our testimonies today, that we're declaring today, become the prophetic declarations of tomorrow's testimonies. So as we continually speak of the goodness of God, as we speak of God's provision, as we speak of God's healing, as we speak of God's goodness, so we know we can expect to see more of it moving forward. But if we operate out of the bounds of fear, and if we speak of how scared we are, our disappointments too, as I heard recently, can also become the prophetic declarations of, of our testimonies tomorrow. So we need to be careful what we speak. The Bible says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. So we speak life, we speak testimony, we speak of God's goodness, and we trust that it will stir the atmosphere. A friend of ours, Shanae, asked her a little while ago, what is your gifting? And she said, I feel my gifting is to change the atmosphere. We need to be a people who change the atmosphere. And, and often how we speak and what we declare speaks of the goodness of God. And we need to be a people in the midst of times like this where we can find anyone who's willing to share bad news. We can find anyone who's willing to tell what's going wrong. We need to be a people who raise our voices up and share on what's going right and how good God is. Because the Rahabs of the world might hear of those things and recognize that God is Savior. The, the Samaritan woman might hear of these things. The people of Samaria who were rejected and, and told that they, they had no value can hear of these things and salvation can come and see them. The people with the baby with the bowed neck can hear of the goodness of God and find healing. 35 years in ministry as a pastor because his child was healed at a revival meeting. Hey? It's amazing the goodness of God and how intentional He is. So, Lord, I thank You, Father, for not only the testimonies that we have, but, Father, I pray that these will be books that are, are left uh, to be continued, where there are still many stories to be added, good things to declare, moments where we get to encounter You, King. Lord, I pray, Father, for a supernatural boldness, even as Quentin was saying, to step out in faith when You start to stir us, Lord. Moments where... We get to meet the ladies at the, at the shopping center in inconvenient times. We're on mission. We're going. But we look at the, the miracles that Jesus did through the interruptions. The times where he was on mission, where he was going. But he veered off because, Lord, you were prompting him. So, Father, I pray, Lord, for us to be sensitive to you, Holy Spirit. I pray for moments to step out in authority knowing that we've been given an authority through our identity in you. And Lord, I pray that we will continue to be a people of share of your goodness.
Share of your grace. Share of your mercy. Share of the times that you took people who were lost like us. And not only introduced yourself as Lord and Savior, but transformed our lives so that we could walk into the presence of God with your, your righteousness bestowed upon us. And what a privilege that is. May you continue to have your way amongst us, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. In Acts 3, verse 4, it said, it's there where John and Peter go to the temple and they um, they say, silver and gold have our none. But uh, what I just love about what they did there is, um, sorry, I just want to find the spot. So, and Peter directed his gaze at the man begging and he said, look at us. He, he required a response, and I'm sure, I think I've said, shared this before here, but he required a response, and then he said, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to read and receive something from them. And for me, um, in that passage, what I really got from it is just that when God speaks to us, and we come to him expectant, and we look at him, and we, we expect to receive something from him. Um, in the same way that this beggar looked up at them expecting to receive something um, from God, of God as they said they had nothing other than to pray for him. And he then said, rise up and walk and immediately he was able to do that. And so, um, just as, as we were sharing now about this being obedient to God and hearing with the sensitivity, being sensitive to his prompting and his leading and looking at him to be expectant that every day there should be these little things. I remember I went through a season where this was happening to me regularly. But I think I was looking for it. I was asking God for those moments. I was intentional with my time that I am here to be his hands and feet. And so so often I feel we can get so distracted with the busyness of life, with the with what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And yes, let me love you and be kind to you, but, but looking for those spectacular moments of um, the care moments that Nick spoke about, where God just aligned everything exactly. I miss those because I'm not looking for them. I'm not asking for them. And so, Lord, as we go into worship now, we thank you for the little things that you just continue to do just because you're God and because you're good. We thank you for those, but I pray, Lord, that... You would give us a shift in heart to seek you for those moments again, to step out of our comfort zone and to, to be a little bit rattled by what is going on and, and feeling a little bit nervous by taking on the moments that you've asked us to take on, by stepping out and maybe praying for someone or stepping out into that niggling feeling that we've got in our heart of doing something kind and loving towards someone. I pray, Father God, would you give us those moments today and, and maybe be reminded to look at you and be expectant to receive these moments because you have ordained our days, because you have plans for us, and you have plans for the people on the, on, on the other side of our obedience, Father God. And I just pray for a shift in our hearts. Um, do the miraculous in and through us, Father God, because of who you are so that your name may be known. And your name will be glorified in Jesus' name.